Welcome to Ride Ever Stride, episode 41. Welcome to Ride Every Stride with Van Hargis, a podcast about horsemanship and more. Our goal is to educate, motivate, inspire, and entertain you through an exploration of everything horsemanship and the intersection of horsemanship and humanship. My name is Laura McClellan, and I'm your co-host on Ride Every Stride, and I am here with Master Horseman Van Hargis getting ready to talk about horse stuff, huh, Van? Absolutely, Laura. How are you, by the way? I'm doing well. Doing well. It was a nice day in North Texas today. So Good. You know, I'm laughing my tail off because the other day, I guess it was some time back now, but you know, they were talking about that Groundhog Day and I thought, yeah, darn it, we're going to put up another six weeks of the 60 to 70 to 80 degree weather down here in South Texas. So I don't know how we're going to manage the rest of winter. Do you? I mean, it's rough. It's rough. It's, <laughs> it's pretty rough. Having grown up in the Pacific Northwest, one of the things I've learned about living from living here in Texas for a number of years is that you never can put away either your winter clothes or your summer clothes because right. it can change from one day to the next up here in North Texas. Yeah, that's right. You bet it is. I mean, it can change quickly. Well, Laura, anyway. speaking of change, you know what we're going to talk about today? We're going to talk about being all tied up. In other words, we're going to talk about tying your horses. Uh, a friend of mine and I started a conversation the other day on Facebook, and oh my goodness, it just blew the world up. I mean, it just people were sending in videos of things that had happened with their horses tied up, and we had people that were pro tying your horses up, con tying your horses up. And I mean, I heard every trick in the world about tying horses up. And I got to admit, some of it was from people who probably had very little experience just for some of the comments and some of the things they said. I don't mean to step on anybody's toes out there, but oh my goodness, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's uh, interesting how many experts there are that don't really know anything. <laughs> I'm telling you, oh my goodness, it was, it was just really wild. But I tell you, it, it really, it got me thinking, you know what, that would be a perfect topic uh, because, you know, we all at one time or the other, either tire horses up or wish they were tied up. Uh, so, so um, we're just gonna, we're going to kind of go over some of that stuff today, Laura. And I know you've probably never had any negative experiences tying horses up, have you? <laughs> yeah. Anybody who's ever had anything to do with a horse has, has a story about tying their horse up. But uh, uh, so you're going to tell us all the secrets today, huh? Well, I don't know if we're going to call them secrets, but we're going to throw some things out there. Well, and we're just going to start from the very beginning. Uh, I just want folks to imagine ever how big or how old your horse is. I just want you to imagine in its beginning. If it's big black horse, I just want you to imagine little black horse. Imagine when he was a young colt. And let's start from the very beginning, Laura, and we're going to say this. The biggest mistake that I see anybody make when it comes time to tie a horse up is they tie them up before their halter broke. Yes, people, I said before their halter broke. Because everybody assumes their horse's halter broke. And what I mean by that is, is that when I say halter broke, I just mean halter trained, trained to the halter. But here's the biggest deal. Some folks think that if a horse is wearing a halter and he's dragging a lead rope around, and if he's got an owner attached to the end of it, well, he must be halter broke. Well, that's, that's not, that's not that's what that means? No, absolutely not. <laughs> you see, because most of the time, 90% of our, our tying up problems are a result of horses not being properly halter trained. So what is properly halter trained? A horse that's properly halter trained is very, very respectful 
of the halter and the lead rope itself. And you can control every aspect of that horse's body. And you can even control its attitude to a certain degree when you have your horses perfectly halter trained. And what I mean by control their body, I mean, literally, you want to be able to pick up on that lead rope and get the horse to yield his hindquarters. You want to be able to get the horse to yield his shoulders, get the horse to be able to arc his body. You want to be able to horse to be able to get the horse to elevate and lower his head. You want the horse to respond to what I call the weight of the lead rope or the weight of the rein and not when you tug and pull on them. You see, because if you're having a tug or pull to get your horse to respond, then chances are that horse is not halter broke. And if he's not halter broke, then why in the heck would you tie him up? Because then he's totally dependent on whatever you got him tied to, to train him. Where therein lies another problem. I just recently had a conversation with a guy that, well, I, I tell you how a halter trained my horses. I go get the biggest, heaviest halter I got and the biggest, thickest lead rope I got and go find the biggest, thickest post I got out there in the pasture and I tie him up to it. And that post will teach him how to halter train. Well, really, I couldn't help myself. I didn't say it out loud to him, but in my brain, my brain was just going 9 I was thinking, okay, this guy didn't really sound all that intelligent, but I'll bet you a dollar to a donut, he had a higher IQ than the halter, than the lead rope, and then that darn post that he tied the horse up to. You see, because how horses learn is not from being tied up somewhere with no communication going back and forth. How horses learn is through the release of pressure. They don't teach themselves that, although some people will argue the point that they do, but they don't. They don't teach themselves that. So if the horse does have an incident and he goes to pull back or set back or do whatever he's going to do, then how is he ever going to get any relief from that to know that he's doing the right thing? And quite frankly, the halter can't do it, the lead rope can't do it, and that darn big post can't do it. So before we ever do put our horse in that situation, we want to teach them how to avoid the situation of being set back or or pulling back on the lead rope. So the first step we want to do is spend whatever time necessary to get this horse, no matter what their age, to get them truly, truly halter broke. Anytime, Laura, for example, I, I get the question, and it happens a lot, man, I've got a horse, he's just great. I mean, he, he rides good, he's won championships, he's done this, he's done that, he's just a phenomenal horse, he loves my kids, he even loves my husband. But you can't tie him up. You tie him up and he sets back, he breaks things, he pulls the trailer over, you name it. He just does all this bad stuff. What can we do to fix him? And I said, well, we need to get him halter broke. And they look at me as if I'm just dumb as a box of rocks. But what I, what I do before I ever go tie that horse up is I do a tremendous amount of exercises on that horse to get them to where they feel any pressure at all on that halter, that there's absolutely zero resistance. When they feel any pressure laterally or vertically on that halter, that that horse's first instinct is to yield and come forward and get off that pressure as opposed to pull back and resist it. Only after the horse is fully convinced me that they've got that figured out, then I would consider tying the horse up. Okay, and so that that sounds like a pretty lengthy process. Does it have to be? Well, sometimes it can be. And quite frankly, the older the horse and and depending if the horse has habits or whatever the case may be, Yes, it can be a lengthy process, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. If you do everything correctly and it's, and, and it's all about your timing when you're trying to teach the horse this, uh, or again, how deeply ingrained the habit is or how deeply ingrained the fear is. In other words, whatever is causing the horse to rear back in the first place. So we just have to kind of think about that. But whatever time you do spend on it, it's very much, very much worth it. The, the whole issue with why horses react this way when, to being tied up or to be 
you know, when, when they're being halter broken, when, when you're training them that way, and the way they react in particular to being tied up, does this not have to do with their instinctive defense mechanism of running away? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And we're, we're going to, we're going to get right into that in just a second. Okay. So that's actually one of the, you know, and you've heard me say this before. I say it all the time in order to affect a cure, we first have to find a cause. So let's just go back again. And first let's get the horses extremely prepared, whatever it takes to get the horse really, really halter broke. And if you don't know, you guys need to visit with me and I'll do videos, whatever it takes to get you guys to understand what I mean by really halter broke. But let's look at some of the problems that occur when horses are tied. The problems that occur when horses are tied, the most common one that you hear about is a horse pulling back. That's usually fear-related or something to do with that. For example, we had a horse many years ago that as long as she was tied to something that she could see through, in other words, if you tied her to a fence, if you tied her to oh, a, a pipe fence or, or a rail fence or uh, even a cattle trailer that she could see through, she was okay. But if you tied her to a solid wall or if you tied her to uh, the side of a horse trailer that that you know, had solid walls on it as opposed to see-through type walls like you might see on a cattle trailer, then she would absolutely freak out. And if you didn't get to her, if you didn't say something to her, sometimes her panic would get so bad that she would tear things up or hurt herself. So we have to stop and think, well, why was that? Well, because again, like you just briefly touched on there, what are horses' very first instinct? The first instinct when anything goes wrong is to flee. So their first instinct is to use those great big legs that God blessed them with and those huge lungs that God blessed them with. And when something goes wrong, their first instinct is to get the heck out of Dodge. So like in this horse's case, she'd find herself asleep and she'd wake up and she'd see this wall in front of her and it would startle her. Well, when she would startle, admittedly, because I was just a little kid at the time and I don't think my stepdad knew any different, when she would startle, she would set back just enough to feel that pressure of the halter. When she felt the pressure of the halter, now she's got a horse, or now we have a horse that wants to leave, but feel as if they're being attacked and contained, so she began to fight harder and longer. The harder that she fought, their brains don't kick in and say, oh, by the way, nothing's really killing me. I can step forward now. I wish horses thought that way, but they don't. When they're in that reactive state of mind, their instincts were overriding their learning responses. So as a result, she just kept fighting more and more and more until something broke. and. Sadly for her, she was such a, or sadly for us, I should say, she was such a big horse that usually something did break. And when once she found out she was free, she was fine. She would just kind of sit back and assess the situation and everything was okay. But until then, in her mind, it was a life or death situation. Now, as I got older and I kind of began to figure this out, I began to work with her and started retraining her. And once I got her to, to learn to respond and get that response mechanism to override the reactive mechanism, she quit rearing back. And I, it wasn't like I was a miracle worker. It's just that I trained her and trained her and trained her to the point to where she learned that whenever she felt confined like that, then she would relax. And it suddenly helped her. So we have to understand before we could fix that, I had to realize why she was doing it. Why was she doing it? It's because she, her very first instinct was taken away from her, and then she panicked because she felt that she, she was being attacked. Once we understood that, getting her fixed was really the easy part. And the answer was, just get her better halter broke. So halter trained, in fact, so that her learning things, in other words, that responsive side of her brain, could override her reactive side of the brain. And because she was an older horse, yep, it took a long time. It, it took a while. But here's what I do, too, in that situation. 
Uh, I'm not going to fix her in one session. I'm not going to fix her in two sessions or three sessions or even more. So what else I began to learn to do back in that day and time, let's say I had her tied to that trailer. Our horse trailer had solid walls, like you see with a lot of horse trailers. I'd go tie her to that little ring on the side of the trailer. But instead of tying her up hard and fast, in other words, tying her up to where nothing would slip and where nothing would, would let go, I would just wrap the lead rope around a few times through that ring so that whenever she went to pull back, she didn't feel that sudden confinement on her face. So her, her reactive states just didn't quite kick in. So if she did have that first instinct to pull back, she'd get a little bit of relief from that lead rope pulling and she would settle. She'd relax. And then as a result, her responsive side would kick in and override the other side. Over time, I got to where I could add more resistance until eventually I got to the point where I could tie her up hard and fast and, and she'd quit pulling back. So the key there is just to remember their instincts. Remember that they're not being bad. They're not being goofy. They're not doing something that some Yahoo trained them to do. They're just being horses. And whenever they're revealing those sides of themselves, even if we don't like it, it's our responsibility to go back and retrain that so that they're not quite so reactive and they become much more responsive. You know, it's really, to me, it's kind of miraculous that we can take an animal like this that, you know, that has these finely developed instincts that have, are why the breed has survived all these millennia. And you can override those instincts by training. Well, you can, but look how much it takes. I mean, we really do. That's one of the biggest problems that I have with folks is that they do it a few times. They think, well, they're just as smart as me. They're going to learn. And I'm telling you, horses are brilliant, but look how hard it is for people to break habits. Look how hard it is for us to go through certain things. And if it's that hard for us, then just imagine being taught by somebody who doesn't understand us or doesn't understand the horse at all, trying to teach you how to do something to override your instincts. It's just, like you said, it's absolutely miraculous. But the reality is we're there. We're never going to convert them into being humans. Right. We, we love them because they're horses. So we're going to have to communicate in a way that they can understand, which means that we have to learn more about them that, and we have to spend more time with them. We have to really analyze things from their perspective and not so much just from our perspective. Well, and I wasn't suggesting that you, we can override it permanently, right, but the fact yeah. that we can do it at all, I think is miraculous. The, the, the fact is they will, as you have said today and have said many times in the past, they're always going to be a horse and they are always going to have those instincts that, you know, survival instincts that will kick in if the circumstances are right. If they feel threatened, that's what they go to. Just like we as human beings have certain reflexive, instinctive responses when we feel threatened. And we have higher reasoning capabilities that horses don't have. So it's so important to understand that. And I think that's one of the things you do so well is to to emphasize the need to look at things from the horse's perspective and not, you know, try to humanize them because they don't have the, the higher reasoning capabilities that most human beings have. You know, and speaking of instincts, I want to talk about another issue that's very, very common when we tire horses. You know, the the pulling back is one thing, and I think once people understand it, they can probably get a better feel for why horses do what they do when they when they do pull back. Sometimes I look at it as if it's 110% justified when a horse pulls back. For example, when something really goes wrong, in other words, let's say the horse is, you know, tied up and everything's working good and in his favor, 
But then, let's say some little kid throws a Frisbee and it lands right in front of the horse or it bounces off the horse trailer and hits a horse in the head. I mean, man, that's such a, su- a sudden surprise and shock. You really couldn't blame a horse for pulling back in that situation. But if your training is such, you can get him to turn that, re- that reaction off quicker. So that's the aspect of doing it. We, so we always have to understand that sometimes, folks, there's, there's things that's just going to happen and you can't blame the horse for it. He's just being a horse. We always have to remember that no matter what. So anytime we tie our horses up hard and fast, there is that little hint of possibility that the horse could still pull back. So I don't want somebody to think that, you know, once fixed, always fixed, or once trained, always trained, because we have to keep that in mind that there's always going to be a situation that that horse is going to revert back to being a horse, no matter how well we've trained them. But then the other thing that a horse does a lot besides the pulling back thing, and as soon as I say it, I'm going to have people go, oh my gosh, you're right. And that's a horse that paws. You know, and what I mean by that, folks, is a horse that just, you tie them up and they just go to paw on the ground. And they're just pawing and pawing and pawing. And sometimes I think horses paw to a, uh, to a little bit of a degree because they're bored and they just don't know what else to do with themselves. And then other times, and the most common, is when they're really anxious and worried about something. And then more times than not, when I want to look at that anxiety aspect of it, I want people to stop and think about, then what does a horse have to be anxious about? I mean, he's safe. I made sure I tied him in a safe place. There's nothing around him that can hurt him. So why is he so anxious? Why is he so nervous? Okay, let's look at, again, the way horses are. Number one, how does the horse know that he's not the sacrificial lamb? If we've got that sucker tied out somewhere, then how does the horse know that if something goes wrong, that he's not going to be eaten? That if a lion just comes out of the woodwork somewhere, and I mean, I know there's not lions, especially down here in South Texas, but what if, I mean, how do we know that a horse doesn't have that in their mind, that if something goes wrong, I'm tied up, I can't leave? I'm stuck here. If something goes wrong, if the barn catches on fire, or if, if a car runs off the road, or another horse comes running by, I can't get out of the way because I'm tied here. So if you understand it from the horse's perspective, when their instinct is to run and to leave, and then they're tied, if they don't have trust in the fact that they're tied in a safe place, they don't know they're in a safe place. They don't know their environment. They don't know you. They don't know even, they don't even have the confidence in themselves maybe at this stage. So a lot of times, until they develop that confidence, we've just got to understand that we can't blame them for being anxious. And sometimes that anxiety comes out with them nickering a lot, calling out to other horses, or pawing the ground. Now, another reason a horse might paw the ground is not just because you know they're they feel like they might be you know sacrificed. In other words, they, their instinct to leave has been taken away. But I see too many times where horses are tied up for the first time all by themselves. And when we time up from all by themselves, we also have to realize, yes, their first instinct is to leave. Their next best instinct is they're herd animals. They're meant to be in numbers. So oftentimes when I take a really young horse and I want to tie them up for the first time, the first thing I do, again, is make sure they're extremely well halter trained. The second thing I do is I tie them up with a buddy. The third thing I do is I don't tie them up for very long. I want to tie them up with their buddy because the buddy makes them feel confident that there's safety in numbers. I don't tie them up for very long because I, won't, I don't want the horse to think that, oh my God, I'm going to be here forever. What if I get hungry? What if I need to eat? In other words, I don't want another something anxious to come about, another form of anxiety to come about because the horse thinks he's going to be here for eternity. So in the beginning, just like I would a kid at daycare, I would tie him up for a little while and then I'd go put him away and then I'd put his buddies away. And then I'd tie his, the next time I'd tie his buddies up and I'd tie the horses up right beside his buddies 
for only a short period of time, and but maybe a little bit longer than I did the day before, and I'd go put him away. So you see where I'm going with this, Laura? Number one, I would put him with his buddies, so he has that comfort of knowing that there's other horses around, there's safety in numbers. And then the other thing is I want him to learn to trust me. I'm part of the environment. I'm his leader. I'm not going to abandon him. And whenever I think about that, I really do think about me taking my daughters to daycare. For years, my daughters, well, really for the first few years, I was training horses full-time. My wife had a job about 40 or 50 miles away. Uh, she worked at a hospital. And we really didn't want to take the kids to daycare yet. And so the question was, you know, what are we going to do? I had horses to ride. I couldn't stay in the house all day with the girls. So what I did was I put a, a playpen out in the, the arena or out in the hallway of the barn. When the girls got a little bit older, I put them into actually a horse stall. And then I put them out in the round pen, big giant sandbox. But there came a day to where it was time to graduate the girls into a daycare. And in the beginning, the first two or three days of that, it was, I'm sure a lot of folks thought it was goofy, but I did my girls like I would have done a really young colt. I carried the girls to daycare and I talked to them and t- told them what we we're about to do, kind of let them introduce themselves to the other kids. And the, and the, the folks at the daycare was really good. They, they introduced everybody and I made sure the girls were okay for a moment. And I said, Hey girls, Dad's going to leave for a little while, and I'll be back in a, after a while. And I literally went out to the truck and sat in the truck for a few minutes. And I came back probably 30 or 40 minutes later because I wanted the girls to know that I made them a promise. I'm coming back. And I thought I fulfilled that promise by coming back. And I actually came back before there were any issues. I didn't want to have to go fix something. I didn't want the, the daycare folks to tell me, oh, your girls were fine for the first hour. So and then they started freaking out and crying. What I did was I showed back up before a problem came about. And I picked the girls up and carried them home. The next day, carried the girls into town again, dropped them off at daycare. We let them stay a little bit longer. And obviously, again, you can see where this is going. Over a few days, I think it took three or four days of us doing this, we began to expand it longer and longer until the girls knew that when dad promised them he was coming back home or coming back to pick them up, they knew and they could trust the fact that I was showing back up. Now, what the heck does that have to do with horsemanship? The same thing I would do with a young colt or a horse that was really anxious. I would put them in the area where there's safety in numbers. I would make sure the horses could get along with the other horses they were tied up next to. And then I would leave them there for a very short period of time, and I would come back. And over time, the horses begin to trust their environment, and they begin to to trust the fact that when I come back, or that that, that I am coming back, I'm not going to leave them there forever. And after a while, you expand that, and to the point where literally, Laura, I would take horses that I'd be doing day work with at the ranches, and when we get through gathering cattle, I'd go tie them up. And those horses might be tied up to the horse trailer or to the corral literally for hours and hours and hours until we got through working cattle on foot. So the horses do, over time, begin to look at being tied up as something that's not something bad. In fact, the wiser ones will use it as a perfect time to take a nap. You tie them up and they just drop and almost go to sleep. So the issues that people have with their, their horses almost always are a result of lack of understanding of the horse for what they really are, and a lack of preparation. And both of those sadly fall on our shoulders. It's not the horse's fault. Hmm. I hear your wheels turning. Yeah, no, I mean, it's you really make it seem so simple, and yet it is, it's such a widespread issue. As you mentioned with the people jumping in in the conversation in Facebook, that it's something we all experience. So the starting point for somebody, say, who's got an older horse that maybe wasn't trained properly in the beginning, what do you tell that person? We simply just go right back and, and train him as if he doesn't know anything. In fact, 
We just had that happen out at the ranch uh, just recently. A, a guy, and, and this is a whole other episode, but he, he went and rescued a so-called kill pen horse. Then he found out after the fact that, hey, she won't stand still while I go to get on her. Can I bring her out there to you, Van? And, and you know, can you help her? And I'm like, well, if you bring her out to me, sir, we're just going to start from scratch as if she's never been touched. And he, of course, thinking about his pocketbook, was thinking, oh, my goodness, well, well, I don't know if I can afford all that. Well, I don't know if I want to be your crash dummy. What I want to do is find out what the horse knows and what she doesn't know. So we literally took her, you know, to kind of put it in our terms. I took her all the way back to kindergarten. I wanted to make sure she knew her ABCs and her one, two, threes. And what she did know, we moved forward fairly quickly. What she didn't know, we filled in the gaps. In other words, I could care less that this man was already eight years old. I treated her as if she knew absolutely nothing because I wanted her to gain confidence in me that I wasn't going to be speaking over her head, but also wanted to gain confidence in her as well to find out, what do you know? Look at it as if it was like an interview. I'm just interviewing her and she's getting an opportunity to learn me and she's getting an opportunity to learn the way that I communicate. And I, at the same time, get an opportunity to learn something about her and her life. What does she know? And then we finally get to the point to where uh, we're going to get on her. And guess what? There was absolutely zero problem getting on her. Why? Because we fixed those problems before we ever saw the problem. I didn't have to see the problem of, of you know, the client having difficulty getting on her to believe him. I believed him, but I wasn't going to go out there and just, well, let me get on her and get on her and find out, oh my God, she's never had a saddle on her. That's why she's hard to get on. See, so what we did was we, we, we went all the way back down to ground zero and we worked our way up. And very early in the very beginning of the, of that first session, I learned that she wasn't very soft in her face. I wasn't learned that she had no flexibility whatsoever. So all of those things were showing me signs that, oh, there's resistance in here somewhere. There's a lot of, and I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way, but there was a lot of ignorance there. She didn't know a lot. So as we began to fill in what she didn't know, you could almost see this horse getting more and more confident. So then when it came time for us to step on her, she just stood there like she had been saddled a hundred times. And actually, she may, may have been. I mean, she just stood there as perfectly good as you could imagine. So whenever I'm addressed, whenever I'm faced with a situation about a horse that, that may have bad habits or may not know certain things, I look at that as an opportunity. I get to practice my skills and I get to learn a little bit more about this horse. Rather than looking at it as something negative, I get to look at it as opportunities to, to be a better horseman and to learn more about the horse that I'm working with. And then the other result almost always is a horse that gains a tremendous amount of confidence in themselves and in me as its leader. The tricky part is, is that trying to get the client out there to watch and witness that as much as possible. And I don't just let people come out and watch me ride and watch me work with horses. By golly, they got to get their fingernails dirty. Because <laughs> I always argue that what good is it if I can ride your horse and you can't? What good is it if this horse understands algebra to a T and you're still having a hard time putting one and two together? You see, so I need to make sure that they're both on the same page. So we want our clients to watch us in the training process and take part in the training process because the horse in the long run doesn't need to have confidence in me and my assistant. The horse needs to have confidence in the rider and the handler. And so the same thing is going to apply in the context of what we're talking about today in terms of tying. Don't assume because your horse is older, it knows these things. If there's an issue with the horse being tied up, you go back to kindergarten. Absolutely. And in fact, in this same mare's case we're talking about, she did have some issues in being tied. She wobbled, you know, wiggled around a lot, went back and forth a lot. And I just told my assistant, look, let's just don't tie her up hard and fast. Let's just put her through some exercises. Let's go over here and tie her up between these two other horses, far enough apart that they couldn't kick or hurt each other because, you know, they didn't know each other yet. 
but close enough that she could feel as if there was a herd there with her. She wasn't being stranded and being left alone. And again, we just did that over time. We, we began to, uh, to expand the time that she was tied. And now, really, after literally just only a few days, you go to tie her up and she just stands there. She's okay with the environment and she's okay with, with the other horses being a little bit further away. So we did that exact same process with her. Now, granted, she didn't pull back, but she did have some issues of standing still and pawing. But we took care of that by just focusing on getting her better halter trained and then understanding maybe she doesn't want to feel as if she's been stranded. Maybe she doesn't want to feel as if she's a sacrificial lamb. Maybe she doesn't want to feel as if she's going to be here and all the other horses are going to get fed and she's not. So we just kind of had to understand who she was and, and at the same time kind of take away the problems before they ever before they ever revealed themselves. You know, it's funny because it just seems like such a, a, a basic concept, a, almost a no-brainer about, you know, ho- horses being tied up. And yet it's not as simple as it might seem, and it's such, but it's such a foundational skill for the horse for everything you're ever going to want to do, whether you want to, you know, just be able to do trail rides or whether you want to go to a horse show and compete or you know, anything you want to do with your horse, they need to be able to be tied up. And there's benefits both to the horse and to the owner for the horse being taught how to do this well. Absolutely. I mean, probably nothing is more embarrassing to someone when they take their horse to a horse show and they've got the horse tied up either at the stall or at their trailer and the horse is pawing and squealing at the other horses and just going absolutely nuts. And I mean, it's horrifically embarrassing. It can also be very destructive for a horse to do those things because if they pull back and they set back really hard, they could break the trailer rings, you know, your tie rings on your trailer. If they pull back and lunge forward, they can actually dent and damage your trailer. I've seen horses literally paw the fenders to the point where they're damaged and bent. I've also seen them paw the hubcaps off of horse trailers. So not only is it horrifically embarrassing to have a horse that does that, but the other side of it is it can also be very expensive and damaging to your stuff. So question is, well, how do you fix it? Well, you fix it at home and you get those, you, you develop that horse's confidence uh, b- before you ever put them in that environment. And it can't and, be much fun for the horse either. I mean, oh, no. to be that anxious. And yeah. and some and sometimes folks have that attitude too. And I, I absolutely hate this attitude when they think, well, it's almost like what I call a sink or swim attitude. Well, just tie him up over there. After a while, he'll get tired of pawing and throwing a fit. He'll get, He'll get tired of that. And and I'm thinking, well, <laughs> that's almost like, well, that guy'll get tired of starving here in a little bit, and he'll just die. I mean, this is it's just, I mean, <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> it's just like, oh my gosh, really, we're just gonna have that sink or swim attitude and just hope that he swims. I mean, heck, no, teach that sucker, right? It just takes a little bit more time, but in the long run, it's so well worth it. I mean, there's not a better feeling in the world when you take a horse to town and it does right the opposite. You tie him up. And he just darn near goes to sleep. And then everybody says, wow, that's, they never brag on you. They just always brag about the horse. Well, Vanya sure brought a nice horse to town today. He sure is quiet. Now, if you're in the horse selling business, that's good. You, know, you, can, so you can buy him or buy one just like him. I've got tons of them at the ranch. But the reality is they're that way because we spent the time with them to develop them that way. I mean, think about your kids. Though. I mean, didn't, didn't it just make you feel like incredibly happy whenever you'd take your kids to town and somebody brag about your kids? I mean, and that's the way I feel about my children, but I also feel the same way about my horses. I mean, nothing makes me feel better when I was, especially when I was doing a lot of day work, when I was doing a lot of day work at ranches and when I would carry a horse to the ranch and I'd be working the cattle on them and I'd go tie them up or whatever. And before the evening was over, 
people were talking about, well, Van, I sure like that horse. And what do you want to, you want, well, you wouldn't want to sell that one, would you? I and mean, it just, nothing makes you feel better when people really appreciate the work that you've put in, uh, on, you know, on a good horse. And so I want other people to have that same experience rather than have the horse that everybody's talking bad about, be the one that has the horse that everybody's bragging about and bragging about it because of the work that you put in and not some, the work that somebody else put in. Well, that makes sense to me. And I'm, I'm guessing there may be, given the response to the commentary on Facebook, there may be listeners who have questions about this that they'd like to ask you. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if uh, for those listeners who may have questions about the techniques of of halter breaking your horse or teaching your horse to be tied without freaking out or any of those things, there's lots of ways for you to get in touch with Van. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode, which you'll find on the uh, podcast tab at vanhargis.com. You can go to Facebook to the Van Hargis Horsemanship Facebook page and post your question there. You'll probably get lots of comments from lots of people, but among them will be Van. And so he can give you some good information that way. Or if you have questions or comments or thoughts that you want to share with Van privately, you can email those to him at info at vanhargis.com. And we can always address those in uh, a follow-up episode of this, you know, on this topic. You bet. So what else is new with Van Hargis Horsemanship before we wrap this up real quick? Anything you want listeners to know? You betcha, Laura. We've got a lot of stuff coming up this spring, so we want people to come and join us. First of all, we're going to be out in Albany, Oregon, and that is going to be at the Northwest Horse Fair and Expo. The cool thing about that particular expo is there I'll be doing regular presentations, but I'll also be doing what we call little mini clinics. Where uh, It's only going to be, oh, I think four riders and some of them to where uh, if these folks want to ride with me and get personal instruction at the expo, they can sign up and they can either do so by going to our website and following a link that takes you back to uh, the Northwest Horse Fair and Expo's uh, website, and you can get signed up to get involved in that clinic. And it's very, very affordable. I don't, I don't, I'm not involved with the fees on any of that stuff. That's just strictly up to the Horse Expo. I just know it's a heck of a deal. They were telling me before that folks would be paying probably as little as what it would take to take a, a riding lesson. I mean, so it's going to be a pretty good little uh, situation there. Uh, March the 31st through April the 2nd, still while we're out in Oregon, we're going to be doing a clinic. We don't know exactly the location yet because the host has just changed locations, but as soon as she finds that out, she's going to get back with us. So keep checking the website there. If you'd like to attend the clinic the following weekend after the Horse Expo, we're going to be there for another week. And then in April, Laura, April the 21st through the 23rd, we're going to be out in Verde Valley Equine Affair, and that's going to be in Cottonwood, Arizona. I want you guys to come out and see us. Then we're going to make a mad dash back to Texas. We're going to jump on an airplane and head back to, to uh, kind of southeast Texas area uh, to do a HAL program. And a HAL program is a horse owner workshop. It's where people can come and listen to me speak and work through problem horses. We do a lot of question and answer sessions on there. That's also going to be done uh, in conjunction with Purina Mills. They're going to be doing a, a presentation on equine nutrition and healthcare as well. And let me see. A clinic that's just darn near filled up already is going to be in Rhinebeck, New York. Laura, this is going to be the first time I've been back to the Northeast probably in five to seven years. It's been a while since I've been back in the Northeast. So we're going to be in Rhinebeck, New York at a horsemanship clinic there. We're only going to accept 10 to 12 riders because the arena is fairly small. And you know me, I love to keep the clinic small and very personal anyway. And from what I've been told, the clinic is almost full already. So they need to hurry up if you want to be in, be a part of that one. If you miss your opportunity to ride with us, 
then we are taking an unlimited number of auditors. They said they had plenty of seating area for folks. So if, if you miss your seat and being in the arena with us and riding, you can still come out and watch us. And of course, Laura, there's still the Van Hargis Top Pan Club. We want folks to keep, uh, keep joining that thing. We're very excited about the numbers of folks that are joining. But keep in mind, we're going to take the first thousand at $4.95 a month. And we did have a question the other day. A lady joined the club and then she didn't realize until after the fact. I think she freaked out because she looked at her, uh, her invoice, uh, her little receipt thing that she received via email, and it said $16.08. Well, um, and it says there on our website, it's $4.95, but that's for the first three months. So your first three months, you join with one payment of $16.08, I think is what it works out to after tax. Uh, so it, it's still $4.95 a month, but uh, that first one, it comes off as your first charge of 16 bucks. But even at $16, it's one heck of a good deal. You get your uh, discounts to all the products on the Van Hargis website. Uh, you even get discounts to the clinic. So if people want to go to the clinic, they can go be a top hand member first and then go to one of our clinics for 10% off. So even at 16 bucks, you're going to make that back from your very first purchase off of vanhargis.com. So all kinds of cool stuff going on, uh, lots of ways that you can learn from Van in a lot of ways. Van is always thinking in new ways to serve the community and to to work with you. So be sure to visit the, the website at vanhargis.com. Check out the calendar to see where Van's going to be. And if he's not coming to where you are, consider hosting a clinic at your location. You can email them at info at vanhargis.com if you want to learn more about what it takes to host a clinic so that you can uh, be part of learning directly from Van in person. But so check the schedule, check the other offerings there, check out the Top Hand Club. You want to get in on that before the price goes up and just visit the website frequently because there's always new stuff going up there. Anything else that they need to know, Van? I just want everybody to know, Laura, how much I appreciate them. I appreciate you. Appreciate John for for putting this thing together for us. I thank you for your encouragement for making it happen. And without the listeners, I wouldn't be doing it anyway. So I just really want to tell the listeners out there that we thank you so much for listening and uh, and being a part of Ride Over Stride. So thank you very much for listening. Until next time, remember this is your ride, your trail, it's your journey. So ride over stride. Mm-hmm.